0: This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello friends, welcome back. Today I'll be talking about the times in the scriptures when this phrase, one thing is used. Just that. Before I get into looking at God's priorities, how he wants us to order our lives, what comes first to the Lord, I just want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share with me, please send me a note at mike at faith. I'd love to hear from you. And actually, recently, I've received some really kind feedback from some listeners, and I am very appreciative of it. I'm also quite aware that people who don't like what I say will most likely just stop listening and not send me a note. But if you have any questions or would like to correct me on anything, I want to get the negative feedback as well. That's how we grow and get better at what we do. Also, I want to remind you that I have a YouTube channel, Ask for the Ancient Paths. And all of these talks are on the YouTube channel. And I have playlists, so it's much easier for you to access different teachings or groups of teachings. For instance, I have a series called As He Leads, which is spread out over a few years' time. And I'm thinking the next episode or one after that will be in the series of As He Leads. And that is a series of talks where I just turn on the microphone... And pray and see what the Lord has for us in that moment, trusting that whenever somebody listens to it, perhaps there'll be something very encouraging at that point. Alrighty, so today, the title of this episode is This One Thing. It is a bit of a companion piece with episode number 101, which was entitled These Three Things. These three things talked about what the Lord said when He stated that anyone who wanted to be his disciple had to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Those three things, self-denial, a willingness to suffer for him, actually not only a willingness to suffer, but an act of taking up of a cross, and then following him, walking with him. So those were the three things that I emphasized in that episode, number 101, And today I want to emphasize the times, I'll look at a few times, when the phrase is used in the scripture, one thing, this one thing. In this study, as I've gone through it, I realize it's a look at God's priorities. What are the things that he wants to put first in our lives? How does he want us to order our lives? What takes the first place in our day-to-day walk? And so I'll look at these times when this phrase, one thing, is mentioned. The first is in Mark chapter 10. I think all of these will be familiar to you. I'll just tell the story and then talk a little bit about it. So Jesus was traveling and the man ran up to him and he fell down on his knees before Jesus. And he said to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, imagine that. This man falls on his knees before the Lord. He's there in submission, and he's asking a very, very good question. What must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies in a way that is a little bit confounding, but very much like him. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, that's an interesting thing to consider in itself, No one is good except God alone. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But no one is really good except God alone. And actually, it was appropriate for this man to call Jesus good because the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word and the Word became flesh. And Jesus said, this is in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 19. He said to the man, You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said, well, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. (laughs) That is so sweet. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. So imagine that. The creator of the universe, the Lord of all, is looking at this man kneeling in front of him, and he loves him, and he sees him for who he is, and he says to this man, one thing you lack. There's one thing that you need. And what does the Lord say to this man? Go, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Wow, what a word. Talk about the gift of a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a prophetic word. The Lord looked at him, loved him, and said, There's one thing that you're missing. You need to sell all of that stuff, give it away. You'll have eternal treasure, which we've talked about before on the podcast. And then the Lord says, Follow me. Well, what was the man's response? <laughs> As you can imagine, Uh, Verse 22, the man's face fell, and he went away very sad because he had great wealth. He was very rich, and the Lord said, you need to sell it all, give it away, and follow me. This man went away sad. He was kneeling. I can't imagine that moment when he stood and turned his back on the Lord, what that must have been like to the people watching This very wealthy man had just asked the Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, you're just lacking one thing. You need to sell everything. Give it away. Then come walk with me. And remember, Jesus said that he was homeless. So this man was being called to surrender everything to the Lord. Well, what would the disciples have made of that? It's a shocking demand to make on a wealthy man. Jesus looked around and he said to those that were with him, to the disciples, Oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples were amazed at this, and Jesus said it again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, well, who can be saved? Yes, and I can understand that. Even today, in our modern world, many people think that the wealthier you are, the closer you are to God. Because wealth is a sign of God's blessing. And that is not the kingdom way. Who can be saved if the wealthiest among us can't be saved? Or it's very hard for them to be saved. Who can be saved? And the Lord says, well, with man, it's impossible. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but not with God. That's not impossible. All things are possible with God. Well, what are the themes here? As the Lord says to this rich man, one thing you lack. He's calling that man to an intense level of selflessness of complete surrender of all that he values. Not only his standing as an obedient Jew to the Ten Commandments, but his surrender of everything earthly, everything that he had on this earth. Now, it is important for us to remember that this was said to a person, and we're listening in on that conversation. I do not believe the Lord says the same thing to every disciple. There's no evidence that he did this was the word of the Lord for this man at that moment. And yet he does call all of us to surrender everything, to let go of our control of everything. And I had a friend when I was a young believer, which again was in my late 20s. I won't mention his name. I really don't know how he's doing now. This was 30, over 30 years ago. At the time, he was the son and still is the son of a very wealthy man in the United States. And because his father was so wealthy, my friend also had a lot of wealth. He was a young man, and just because of his family connections, he had a house and a car and money coming in through investments. He was an intense guy. He was really intense. And he was in the church that I was attending at the time. And he was convinced that God had called him to give away everything that he had. And, you know, actually he did. He gave away everything. He gave his house to a ministry, gave his car to somebody. He had a home recording studio, and he gave it to me. And it was actually on that recording studio that I recorded my two albums because my friend felt like the Lord told him to give everything away. And he did. It was amazing. How often do you see that? And you imagine the conversation when he went to this ministry and said, I want to give you this house. And that's how I found out about it. He approached me. And he said, I feel like the Lord is telling me to give everything away. I have all this recording gear. I want you to have it. Boy, what a blessing that was. However, after doing that, after giving everything away, he didn't walk with the Lord. He ended up in a community of people that claimed to be spiritual but weren't Christian. And the whole focus of the community was self-gratification. It was very much in the opposite direction of the teachings of Christ. And the last I heard of him, he was bound up in this community of self-gratification. I tell that story because at the end of what the Lord says to this rich man, Jesus says, once you've done that, follow me. And my friend, years ago, really did not follow Jesus. The call of the Lord is one of complete submission. Surrendering everything in obedience to his word and then walking with him, not just doing something one time at a point in time and considering that enough. That act of repentance, the act of obedience, of surrender, perhaps for some people the act of baptism or the act of going down in front of a church and making a statement, a confession of faith in Jesus, that's not enough in the kingdom. The Lord says, follow me, And really, that was the one thing that this rich man lacked, actually following Jesus, obedience to his commands, and then walking with him. And when the Lord called him to that, to recognizing that Jesus is Lord, the man turned his back, walked away sad, because he wasn't willing to surrender all that wealth. Of course, we can see the application to ourselves. Let us not ever turn our backs on Jesus when he calls us to something. He will always give you the ability to do his will. Whatever his will is for you, he will give you the ability to do it. All right. So looking now at the next time this happened, this this will be a, a familiar story, very familiar story. I don't know that I can add anything else to it really, but it's good to be reminded. In Luke chapter 10, we read a familiar story about something that happened when Jesus and his disciples were uh, passing through a village. A woman named Martha opened her home to the Lord. Now let's note that at the very beginning. Martha Opened her home up to Jesus. She welcomed Jesus in. Uh, Remember, this is also Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Jesus spent quite a bit of time in their household uh, two sisters and a brother, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead later. But here in Luke chapter 10, this is in about verse 39, Martha had a sister who was called Mary, and Mary just sat at the Lord's feet, and she was listening to what he said. But Martha, the scriptures say it was. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And, you know, we've all been there. You have a lot of people coming over, and there's a lot to be done. You're going to be feeding people and making a place for people. So Martha came to Jesus, and she said to him, "'Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me.' "'Martha, Martha,' the Lord answered, "'you are worried and upset about many things.' But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. That's such a sweet story. The key word here is relationship. Jesus is valuing relationship over actions. When we enter into a relationship with the living God, then we do things. But there are times when we just sit and rest and listen. Martha? The Bible says, was distracted. She was worried about a lot of different things. And that's in contrast to what Jesus said Mary had chosen, the one thing that was better. One thing is needed, only one thing. Martha, interestingly, <laughs> told Jesus what to tell her sister. Well, and I hope we never do that, that we exert our will over the will of Jesus. Sometimes it may seem that the Lord isn't doing anything or he's not doing what any normal person would do or he's not telling somebody what we would clearly tell them to do, what is right. We have to allow each person to have their direct relationship with Jesus, not try to inject our will into that relationship. So Martha was distracted and worried about a lot of different things. Mary was focused on one thing. Being with the Lord, listening to the Lord. Well, this brings to mind something that Jesus said. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 6. The Lord said, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what shall we wear? He said, for the pagans, the unbelievers run after all those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And here's what the Lord said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well the Lord said, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Lord has said, don't worry about all these other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is what Mary was doing. She was receiving the word from the living word. Amen. Well, this also brings to my mind Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus sends a letter to the church in Ephesus. If you've ever wondered about how the Lord thinks about his church, you can just read the early parts of the book of Revelation and see his attitude. It's one of praise, but also one of calling people to persevere and to return to what is right. In Revelation chapter 2, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, these seven lampstands are these seven churches that are there in what is now uh, the nation of Turkey, what was then the Roman province of Asia. The Lord says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and that you found them false. You have persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Well, that's good. It's nice to hear the Lord say things like that. Hard work, perseverance are good things. And actually, the commendation that Jesus makes here to test people who claim to be apostles but are not, that is very important these days. There are a lot of false teachers, false prophets, false apostles in the world today. and We need to test them. Well, in verse 4, the Lord says to the church at Ephesus, Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. Wow. Something similar might could have been said to Martha, maybe. You've persevered, you're doing well, you're doing all these preparations, and yet you haven't embraced the one thing that is needed. Our love for the Lord, our first love. And the Lord says to the church in Ephesus, Remember that height from which you've fallen. Repent, do the things you did at first. Which in Mary's case, the thing that she did at first was to sit with Jesus. The Lord says, if you do not repent, I will come and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. In John chapter 16, the Lord says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burn. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. That is the word of the Lord for us. He is the vine, we are the branches, and if we remain in him... And he in us, by his Spirit, we're going to bear fruit. And apart from him, we can't do anything. Even though we think it's something, it's actually nothing. I was speaking with a believer in Romania. He's an Orthodox believer, and he doesn't read the Bible very much. And our ministry made a little key ring. I gave him one as a gift because he was helping me. And it's this verse, it's this thing that Jesus said, If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this fellow, Bogdan, he read that and he said, is that really what it says in the Bible? He was unaware that that was the word of Jesus. And he was touched by the exclusivity of the statement. The Lord says, apart from me, we can do nothing. Amen. So we circle all the way back around that Martha is distracted and worried about a lot of different things. And Jesus says, only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that. And I'm not going to take that away from her. So let's remember our first love. Let's do the things we did at first. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus, listen to him, and remember that apart from him, we really can't do anything of eternal value. Well next we come to what is actually one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I don't know his name. It was a man who was born blind and was healed by Jesus. This is found in John chapter 9 and this man says the phrase that we've been looking at, one thing. Let's go back and take a look at the story there in John chapter 9. So there's a man who was born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus, Who sinned, his parents or this guy that he was born blind? And the Lord said, Well, it wasn't the man or his parents that sinned to bring this about. Actually, his being born blind happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Well, you know, that's encouraging to me. That sometimes God allows things to happen that are really hard and tough, and he allows them so that his glory would be shown in our lives. Sometimes that might mean a physical healing, some miraculous work in our lives, and yet the miraculous work might be that we have peace in our hearts in the midst of the hardship. The Lord's will is that his work would be displayed in our lives, whatever that work is. So Jesus did something which is pretty surprising he spit into the ground, and I assume he spit quite a bit because he made some mud enough to cover the man's eyes. And he told the man, I want you to go, and I want you to go wash yourself. And the man did it. He went to the pool of Siloam, and he washed, and he came home seeing. He was healed. There's another lesson for us. The Lord may start the work And to finish the work, we need to act in obedience. We need to live out his commandments. So, the man is healed. And the neighbors and everybody who had seen him before and seen him begging, a lot of them said, well, isn't this the guy that was just begging? And some people said, well, yeah, that's him. And others said, no, it looks like him, but that can't be him. And the man himself said, well, that's me. I am that guy. And they said, well, how did you get your healing? And he said, well, this guy named Jesus, he made some mud, put it on my eyes, and he told me to go wash. Then I went and I washed, and then I could see. And then they asked him, well, where is he? And the guy said, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I really like this story a lot. Well, the Pharisees heard about this, and it turned out that this healing happened on the Sabbath. And therefore, the Pharisees asked him, how did he receive his sight? And he gave his testimony. He said, there was a guy that put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I could see. And the Pharisees, some of them said, well, Jesus can't be from God because he's breaking the Sabbath. And others of the Pharisees said, well, how can he be a sinner if he does miraculous signs like this? And so then they turned again to the guy that had received his sight said, what do you say about it? And he said, oh, that man's a prophet. Oh, they still didn't believe him. And they didn't believe that he'd been born blind. And so they went and asked for the parents. And they said to the parents, is this your son? And they were afraid of the Jews, afraid of the Pharisees, because anybody who was going to follow Jesus might get kicked out of the synagogue. And they said, well, he's our son, but how he got his eyesight, we don't know. You ask him, he's old enough, he'll tell you. One thing I really appreciate about this man who was born blind is he was fearless. Whether he got kicked out of the synagogue or not, he was going to testify to what the Lord had done. Of course, he'd been born blind and now he was seeing. So the Pharisees called him back in and and they said to him, we know he's a sinner. And the man that was born blind said to them, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. (laughs) Ah, there's the phrase. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That one thing that the man knew was the result of his experience with Jesus, his interaction with Jesus, his act of faith, in following the commands of Jesus, he was a witness to the work of God. Now, I may have told this story before when I was a young believer, which again puts me in my late 20s, uh, maybe around 30 years old. I was doing some prison ministry, and I was, like I said, I was young in the Lord, and I was given this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, and I was to take that into the prisons and share the four spiritual laws, flipping through the little booklet. And then at the end of the booklet, there's a little thing called the sinner's prayer, something like that. And I was to walk people through it, but I felt empty because uh, I was just going through this booklet and I wasn't really sharing from my heart. And it touched me in a way that caught my attention. While it was good to share these truths from the Bible, these spiritual laws, as they're called, I was not actually witnessing for what the Lord had done in my life. Just like this blind man, the man who was born blind, he had personal experience, and therefore he could witness with power of the goodness of God, of the power of God, of the truth, of the prophetic nature of Jesus. And that was a challenge to me at the time. I thought, I need to really understand from experience who the Lord is. I believe him. He's been doing things in my life, but I really want to be a witness. And that's what a witness is. A witness to a car accident, say, is a person who sees what happens and then testifies to what actually happened. A witness is not someone who spoke to someone who saw. It's a first-hand experience, and that's what the Lord wants of us as well. And that's why I look to this man who was born blind and I really appreciate him. He's fearless in the face of these religious leaders. He's unafraid of being cast out of the synagogue. And it's because he experienced the Lord in power. What are the things that you know deep in your heart about the Lord? Things that he's impressed very deeply in you. What are those things? And that is the starting point of your witness. This man could say with boldness and fearlessness, I was blind, but now I see. And then a little bit later, it's kind of fun, the Pharisees asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And then the man says to him, "He's just, he's great, the way he's talking to these religious leaders. I've already told you, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, do you want to become his disciple too? (laughs) And then they started insulting him. That's great. The guy had a really pure heart. How could you be against Jesus? He heals, even on the Sabbath. That man had a pure heart and a real true faith. Well, the final thing I want to look at, just briefly before I close up, is found in Psalm 27. And this will be familiar. The psalmist writes, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing I ask of the Lord. And what is that? To live with God, to dwell in his house. And remember for us who know that there is eternal life, all of the days of our lives are uncountable. I believe the psalm encourages us to ask that same thing. Just as Mary did that one good thing, the best thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, the psalmist here says, one thing that I ask, one thing I seek. The key word is relationship, to be with the living God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Well, to close this for now, I see one common thread through all of these stories, and that thread is a relationship with the Lord. The Lord called that rich young man to walk with him. The Lord commended Mary for staying with him. The blind man had a personal, powerful experience of the Lord. The psalmist, David, wants to dwell with the Lord all of the days of his life. It's not enough for us to know about God from a distance. We are called to know him personally. We're called to walk with him, to follow him, to speak to him through prayer, to listen to him through the word, through godly counsel, to act according to his spirit, the spirit that is not only close to us and at work within the world, It is that spirit that is within us, the promise of the new covenant. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.